Hello and welcome to the Worst Movies We Own podcast. This is my beautiful wife, Natalie. And I am Bobby. This episode we have watched Super Mario Brothers. From what year, Natalie? 1993. The worst thing I ever did, Super Mario Brothers. It was a fucking nightmare. The whole experience was a nightmare. It was a husband and wife team directing whose arrogance had been mistaken for talent after so many weeks their agent told him to get off the fucking set. Fucking nightmare. Fucking idiots. Bob Hoskins on Super Mario Brothers. Natalie, why don't you tell the people at home what the worst movies we own podcast was all about? Okay. Uh, so I'm not going to do it in Bob Hoskins' voice. Yep. Okay, I'm not. Um, Bobby and I are married. We watch a lot of films together and we've decided to watch the worst DVDs we own according to the ratings these films have received on the website Letterboxd. Some we've seen before, some we haven't. We've not bought any of the DVDs specifically for this podcast. It's a random combination of stuff in box sets, charity shop gambles, and films we've bought that other people just don't enjoy. Uh, so we'd like to find some low, ra- uh, some treasures amongst these low-rated mm-hmm. films, and we're watching each one with an open mind, hoping for the best. Lovely stuff. Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. It's rather like I think the first big video game adaptation movie. Sure. Pitched as a blockbuster yeah. in the ni- nineteen ninety three, the year of Jurassic Park. I know. Awkward. Yeah. So, you know, didn't happen. Didn't make the money. Wasn't very loved. Critically reviled. Pretty much forgotten about after it was made, apart from a select few people of the right vintage, the right generation. I never forgot. Yeah, never forget. (laughs) (laughs) And we've just watched it again. I think probably since the first time since it came out is when I haven't watched it since then. Yeah, I thought it it used to be on TV all the time. Yeah, it just didn't. I think I I missed it at the cinema. I don't think there was the opportunity to see it at the cinema because, yeah, Jurassic Park, Last Action Hero, Mm. was still dominating the screens during that summer. Mm -hmm. And whoever decided what was on at the canon must have said, well, Super Mario Brothers isn't going to make the book make the grades mm. so I, I i had to wait to get kind of on vhs rented it watched it for oh well and never really kind of had the urge to revisit it again until today yeah well so to explain um this was quite a recent purchase mm-hmm. and you bought it for me because mm-hmm. i it, it come up in conversation i mentioned how much i loved it when i was a teen well not a teenager i was a kid um and i used to watch it on tv every every school holiday that it was every on. school holiday no like Whatever school holiday it was that they showed Super Mario Brothers, probably mm-hmm. Easter. When it arrived, you said you were doing your little admin, putting it on the letterbox list, and you were like, oh, oh uh, we're actually going to be covering this on the podcast. Yeah. And I was I was genuinely surprised. And then I started to worry because I thought, oh, God, have I misremembered? And it's actually really, really awful, you know? And I needn't have feared because it is fucking excellent. It's so good. I've, I've had so much fun the last hour and 39 minutes. So you're of the mind that this is a much better film than its reputation suggests? Oh, indeed. Okay. But then a lot of films, maybe slightly earlier than this, but a lot of films of this ilk, mm-hmm. I've got to say that I've watched, some, most of which I've watched for the first time as an adult because of their bad reputations, um, have been nowhere near as bad as the reputation suggests. Springing to mind when we watched this were Demolition Man and Tank Girl, mm-hmm. which are, were, were like... Not obviously kids' films, and they're not similar, yeah, but they have a similar kind of maybe people have misinterpreted cheapness just for when they were made, and 
Yeah. Maybe people who just don't have a sense of humour and can't take the joy in things that are fun and are meant to be fun. Mm. So basically, people just need to lighten up. Yeah, I, I, I thought watching this again of not Tank Girl and not Demolition Man, but I do feel in much the same way, Howard the Duck and mm. Masters of the Universe, mm. in that this is a big production, this is a very busy film. Mm. And yeah, it's aimed to do something like kind of uh, Blade Runner or Judge Dredd, but even to do that on half the scale of the effectiveness, sort of having them on those massive sets that's a cityscape with lots of shops and crowded with people in loads of kind of costumes, that takes a lot of money and a lot of technical craft to even get it looking half as good as a Blade Runner. Mm. And to criticise it going, oh, it's busy and it's messy because it's trying to do something like that is, I think, a little bit snide. Because mm-hmm. it's still doing more than it needs to do as a cash-in on a vid- as a video game. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a certain degree of imagination and wonder that's gone into this, even if it doesn't achieve the level of perfection, say, as a Ridley Scott production yeah. would do. Having said that, it's mm-hmm. not a perfect film. Is there anything you want to get off your chest before you begin? So, an admission... Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to say, and this isn't maybe going to go down that well, but I don't like Super Mario Brothers, the, the video game. Yeah, so, no, I'm, I'm, know, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. That's, yeah. If I, anyone's thinking I'm coming at this from the direction of, oh my God, isn't it great they've made a film adaptation of Super Mario Brothers, so I'm going to love it because of the game. No, 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 do not be misled because I think it's boring. So um, I like the film more than I like the video game. Yeah, I... I would say I'm a Sega kid. Mm-hmm. I'm more about the Sonic than I am the Mario. Yeah. That's, that's definitely for sure. Do you know what Mario Brothers always feels to, to me a little bit like? A little bit like E.T. And it's all about the game. Mm. As in, it's something you're supposed to like because it's the classic. Yeah. But actually playing it, I don't think... And I've had it on my Game Boy. Mm-hmm. And I've never really had a, a satisfying time playing it whenever I do. Yeah, it's too small. Yeah. And... What they've done is they've taken a lot of random elements that make up the video game Mm -hmm. and try to get a plot where they all work. So they've included the jumping, they've included the fungus, they've included the fact they're plumbers, they've included the princess, they've included reptiles. And when you think about it as a game, these things were just picked at random, probably because they were easy to design in an 8-bit setting. Yeah. Not that there was any great kind of overarching theme or plot or cohesive design to, yeah, if you have a mushroom, you grow. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know about the mushrooms, but I, I have wondered, and it only really sprung to mind when we were watching the film and my mind wandered a little bit, um, that maybe it all came from that story about the alligators in the sewers. Because like, why else would you put reptiles and plumbers together? I, I really think when it came to video games, it was just grab anything from anywhere. Kids like dinosaurs. Yeah. Kids like plumbers. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's just a work of imagination where things are kind of mashed up and mashed together. Yeah. And there's no logic to it. And yet what this film has a difficult job of doing, and it does try really hard, is all these elements, let's see if we can get a plot where it actually tries to make sense. Mm. And it makes it a very busy film because of that yeah but that that you know it's layered it stands up to future watchings i don't know if that's necessarily well, true it is and do you know it is true um in video games uh donkey kong throwing a barrel yeah that happened to me oh right <laughs> uh chester zoo 
Yeah, early nineties, a gorilla threw a barrel at me. Okay, and where you, what were you doing? Well, it might have been Blackpool Zoo. Mm. I wasn't doing. I was looking at the gorilla through the glass. Yeah, but you didn't like it, so you threw. Oh yeah, but I wasn't doing anything bad. I wasn't tapping or gurning or anything like that. <laughs> I was just literally looking at the. Be very respectful of the animal. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's because I was, I mean, I was, I'm ginger now, but I was an incredibly ginger child. Maybe he mistook me for an orangutan. It could be that. Encroachy got his territory. You don't look like an orangutan. Okay, thank you. You look more like a little chimp. Yes, my ears. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there we go. But it's interesting how this Mario plumber likes to abuse animals, whether they be chimp or reptile. He doesn't abuse them. (laughs) He jumps on top of a turtle, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Well. But yeah. then the turtle just pops inside his little shell. Yeah, push the shell along and knock everyone out. But yeah, yeah I, I agree. Was I excited about this in 1993? But I can't believe they've made a film out mm. of Super Mario Brothers. Nah. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm glad because I was a bit worried you might um, take issue with that. Nah, not all. Because of your age. Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, in fact, from what I've read just now looking at the trivia, the, the various people at Nintendo were a little bit surprised at how faithful the film was. And the <laughs> problem was... They should have tried to make a good film rather than a faithful adaptation. Now, I wouldn't say they have made a faithful adaptation. I think they've tried to include every element they can. Mm. And like I say, panel beat some logic into it. But video game adaptations. Yeah. You a fan? No, not as a rule. I mean, I don't seek out video game adaptations. And thinking about it, there are adaptations of video games that I love that I've never bothered watching. Like, Mm. you know how much I like Final Fantasy. Yeah. Never watched the film. Yeah, the film was very boring. I went to cinema to see that. Oh, it's, yeah. uh, it was one of the first photorealistic animated films. Uh-huh. Uh, and they made the girl look like Nev Campbell, the lead girl. Oh. But it, it's a very boring film. Right. Oh, well, I won't bother then. In my mind, there's only one good video game adaptation. So what, what's your favourite? Well, it's not my favourite. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you the one that I've got the most affection for next. But I think the best one is probably Silent Hill. Yeah. Is that, is that what you were thinking? Silent Hill's the only that, one that's worth its salt, in my opinion. Yeah, so genuinely, it, it could not exist as a video game and still, still be a perfectly uh, entertaining mm, horror, horror film. Yeah. Um, but I, I really like um, the original Tomb Raider films. Oh, yeah. I don't think they've really made a good Tomb Raider film. I mean, the, the problem you have with a lot of video games is, and we've got the Uncharted movie coming out yeah. quite soon, is your Tomb Raiders and your Uncharted and your... Films that haven't been made yet, but might happen at some point. Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption. The problem with all of them is they're they're actually simplifications of films that already exist. Yeah. So to adapt them doesn't really make a lot of sense. And you know, anyone who's played Red Dead Redemption two would realise there's about twenty movies worth of plots yeah. in there that you could follow around and do, and that's never going to be as satisfying as a ninety minute movie. No. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what happens with The Last of Us, which they're making a TV show of. I think that's probably got a fair bit more scope. They're making a TV show of that, thing. Yeah. Yeah, really boring video game, though. You didn't, didn't enjoy the video game? It's just too... It, I, I don't know. Never got off the ground. Yeah. If you recall, I was, I was surprised when it got to the end. Because, yeah. So me and Bobby play video games together. We take turns. Yeah. We, so we, we do play them together, and it's literally a case of once one part of the mission's complete, we hand that over to the other person, or if we die, then it's the other person's go. Yeah. And we're quite, you know, it means we both play for a couple of minutes playing a game and it's quite satisfying to complete a game like that isn't it it is and also it's teaching me to share yeah it does teach you to share that's yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it also means sometimes when you know there's decisions that need to be made that it has to be a democratic decision yes yeah 
Okie doke. So, why don't you tell the people at home what the plot of Super Mario Brothers the movie from 1993 is? Okay. And just try and boil it down a little bit because there's a lot. Well, of I know. So I've written it down and I'm just going to read it because um, it, it is really complicated. Okay. So yeah. 65 million years ago, the meteor that we thought killed the dinosaurs actually ruptured reality, sending them into another dimension. In that dimension, dinosaurs have evolved into creatures that look like humans. And up to 20 years ago, they were ruled by a royal family. But then Cooper, a fascist T-Rex descendant, overthrows the royals. But the princess, who's still a baby, is taken to the other dimension, which is our world. And 20 years after that, Princess Daisy is kidnapped by cousins of Cooper and dragged through a wormhole into the other version of Brooklyn. And it's up to her new friends, plumbers Mario and Luigi, to save her and stop Cooper from merging the dimensions. Is that right? Yeah, because okay. that, 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 that was my takeaway. But, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I will say 70% of that exposition you just gave yeah. is what happens before the movie starts. <laughs> yeah, I know, but once, once that's all in place, you know, then just the fun happens. Yeah. Well, the fun, I mean, I would say Dennis Hopper spends a lot of the time explaining what's happening in the movie. He's the, he's the main villain, but more often than not, he's just shouting the plot people <laughs> that kind of helps because it's not entirely clear <laughs> from the narration at the beginning what what has happened so you do it was a good two-thirds into the film before i actually it actually clicked what has happened yeah. and what he wants and what the gist is mm. and i think as a kid i don't think i ever understood what was going on in this film i think i just enjoyed it yeah. as an experience and let it wash over me i don't remember understanding or knowing that plot no i i, I... If you asked me before we watched it just now what the plot of Super Mario Brothers is, I think I probably would have said they go to another world where there's reptile evolved humans mm. and try and rescue a princess. Yeah. Uh, that's all I would have been able to tell you about it from 30 years ago memories. It's, it's a very dense, busy plot because it wants to include lots of elements for the video game. Mm. As a story, I think one of the big problems of it is it's so busy and hectic that a lot of the film is just them bumping into people so they can interact with them and move on to the next set piece. Mm. None of you, sitting there watching it, there's never a point where you go, I know where this is going to be in five minutes' time. Mm -hmm. I know where we're headed yeah. for the next scene. Well, that's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing either. I think they, in a weird way, the creatives who've made it do fully embrace the fact that right, this is going to be a hot mess. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if we're going to have to have scenes where two sets of characters run into each other in a hallway and that moves the plot along, why don't we do that every single time? Rather than mm. it just feel like a, a fudge. Why don't we just lean completely into it and just say, that's just how this film's going to be. It's going to be madcap. Yeah, but, but I mean, it is. It's a silly, fantastical... And it's based on a video game. Like you said earlier on, there's no sense for what's in the video game itself. Mm. So why should there be that much sense for what happens in the film? Um, by the time you get to the end of the film, as an adult, you understand what's happened. Yeah. Um, as a child, possibly, no. But I do think that a film like that is like this has just as many benefits for kids watching it and appreciating it and growing up to appreciate films that aren't you know, that don't go from A to B in exactly the way you expect them to, mm. than them actually having to understand the plot of the film. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I guess we could discuss this in later parts of the podcast, but I will say what this film 
what what I think a film to make a film like this work is a certain degree of clarity. You could have all these fantastical ideas and fantastical elements, but what a Tim Burton or a Steven Spielberg does really well, or an M. Night Shyamalan does really well, mm. is they'll take all these nebulous fantastical concepts and then just give it a real good straight through line so that you as a viewer are never confused. And what I'd say a film like this does is it just throws as much shit against the wall and hopes that shit might look like a blockbuster at the end. Yeah, but rather than seeing it as throwing shit against the wall, I like to think of it as a bunch of people in a room coming up with really fun ideas Mm -hmm. and then just trying to fit all the fun ideas into the film. And okay, maybe that does mean that the plot is secondary. Mm. But I personally think that that is more of a creative process and it's more interesting to watch the final product than somebody who sits down writes out what's going to happen in the film and then tries to think of interesting things along the way which is let's face it how they write most children's films yeah and they're boring <laughs> and they're boring for that reason i would agree this 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 film comes from that peak period where you've got your hudson hawks and your last action heroes mm-hmm. and the content feels very throwaway, but are self-aware mm-hmm. and in a way it lets an imagination run rampant with mm-hmm. let's take this silly idea to the nth degree now, I'd say possibly Hudson Hawk Last Action Hero do these kind of things better. There's something about this that never really finds its own sense of humour. Mm. Yeah, it wants to be a comedy film, but I don't really remember that many effective jokes in it. We'll discuss that in the, in the, the bulk of the podcast. Mm. But I would say that if you're going to do a film like this, which is just the Marx Brothers meets Blade Runner, <laughs> then it has to be funny. And this is a film where they haven't particularly written particularly good jokes to come out of the characters' mouths. But it's funny. Well, right. Why would you fax the figures and would start, start discussing the yeses yeah. and the noes, the goods and the bads? Yeah. Yeah, we'll do the boring bit first. Okay, and we're going to do it properly this time because we've been rushing through the facts and oh. figures recently because you're not quite such a fan of it, but this time there's stuff to say, okay? okay. So, Super Mario Bros. 1993, directed by Rocky Morton and Annabelle Yankel. Um, they mm. are the people behind Max Headroom. Oh, right. They directed that remake of DOA with Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. Okay. And this is was their big swing at the big time, and it didn't go particularly well. Oh. There's lots of rumours they did get thrown off set, or at the very least taken out the editing suite. Oh. Um, people who were offered this before they said yes to it were Howard Ramis. Mm. He loves the video games, but didn't think there'd be a good movie you could make from it. He's not the right shape. To direct it. Oh, I thought you meant for like that. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How yeah. And Danny DeVito was offered both the lead role and to direct it. And I think he possibly would have been the better person to take this on. Yeah. Um, and Yankel still works. She made that uh, historical lesbian romance drama with Anna Paquin in it. Tell it to the bees. It came out a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, and they were a husband and wife team. I'm not sure they're still married at the moment, but they were. Right. Then. Uh, written by lots of people we can discuss again in the bulk of the podcast the amount of people who did pass in the scripts but the main writer I'd say is a guy called Ed Solomon who did Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, right. and now you see me or the, the magic thing the magic thing yeah yeah. so he, he's, he's a his name appears quite often in uh, as either did some script doctoring or he wrote the main script okay. on Blockbusters stars Bob Hoskins John Leguizamo Dennis Hopper Samantha Mathis the wonderful Fiona Seagull, <laughs> Fisher Stevens, and Richard Edson. Is he the other guy, the other cousin? Yeah, Richard Edson is the guy in Ferris Bueller who goes, what country do you think this is? 
when yeah. they uh, okay. they go ride around in the Ferrari while first people them to have this day off. Yeah, he's in a lot more than that. Yeah, he's got a very distinct difference. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, had a budget of forty-eight million, which back then was the higher end of what Hollywood production cost. And yeah. It's all there on screen, I'd say. Yeah, uh, but it only made thirty-eight point nine million oh. around the world, so this lost a lot of money. And what about VHS rentals? I'm sure. It, I'm sure it did some business in VHS rentals. I'm not saying, but yeah, they might have sold the VHS rights off around the world, so it's not necessarily what it needed to do. It's got a very low internet movie data score of four point one. Yeah. But even worse than Letterboxd, 1.9. 1. 1.9? Is that the lowest we've ever done? No, no, we've done lower than that, but it is... 1.9? It's the real last end of our DVD collection. Unbelievable. Natalie, yeah. what did you like about Super Mario Brothers? Um, okay, I'm going to start off with um, a parallel with our most recent episode about Hercules. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not almost recent. Oh, second, second, second yeah. ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, say New York. Yeah. It was so nice seeing Brooklyn because you don't normally get Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and it's it's that kind of like grimy, because I suppose by that point Manhattan would have started looking nice and sparkly. Yeah. But Brooklyn still looked like a shit hole. Right. So <laughs> that's nice. I like mm-hmm. shitty New York best. So. Um, mm. I would say. I, I know from things I've seen on YouTube that there's a lot more scenes that have been shot for this film than we see in the final film. And there's definitely, if I remember rightly, a chase around the streets of Brooklyn with them in their van. Oh. That happens that we don't see in this film. Oh, that's a shame, because that would have been mm. good. Um, but yeah, so I like seeing the, the sort of the realistic side of, of New York. But also, kind of as a parallel, in the parallel Brooklyn, I really like the world that is kind of created... Mm-hmm. Um, when they're launched through the the wormhole and they find themselves in this place, it reminded me a little bit of um, one of the Batman Batman films where you kind of the skyline is all dark, mm-hmm. so you don't really see much, which just makes you see all the kind of the people and the lights more. Yeah, um, and it means that you can kind of pick out things really clearly, like. Um, the nice little touches that they put in films like this, where you see like the adverts, like the Cooper mm-hmm. political billboards, yeah. um, the little animatronic dinosaur creatures, mm-hmm. um, and just advertisements for fake things. And yeah. you know, you know, like interns have spent days making these Definitely. things, um, and that's really nice. I like it is busy and there's a lot going on, but because of that kind of, it feels like a set, yeah. and it, it's almost intentionally like. Like I know, a diorama, I remember, like yeah. you can look at it and see it, and it, and there's no pretense that you're looking at a real world. Mm-hmm. You're just enjoying all the bits and pieces of that. Yeah, it, it feels very much like Blade Runner. Yeah. Batman 1989, uh, Judge Dredd from a little bit later on. That they've built a big set and then they've done some set pieces in it. It's full of punks. Yeah. And I reckon you could pause every f- wide shot of that set. And see something interesting in it, like mm. a nice bit of costume design. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, the costumes are great as well. I mean, um, there's the uh, there's a lady who's a thief, and she steals the very important piece of meteor, which is what's needed to merge the dimensions at one point. And she's got this <laughs> kind of latex S and M type costume. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and then you have all these. There's a lot of kind of even though it is very punkish, and you get a lot of neon in mm-hmm. the early bits. When you get to the interior bits, there are a lot of primary colours, those kind of like block kind of, well like the, the Super Mario yeah. 
costume colours mm. and that kind of thing, which it just works. It still works. It blends, which is weird because you've got two completely different kind of mm. colour schemes. I, I, I agree with that. I I found it interesting to watch that someone, I think, and we're going to come up against this a lot when we're discussing the film, is there's two very distinctive voices happening in the film. One is we need to make this a kid's film. Things need to be slightly toyified, so the mm. Super Mario Brothers outfits need to look like something that you could translate into an action figure quite mm. easily. And we want an entire world populated by people in S&M gear. <laughs> and, you know, you can tell that the people who made maybe Talking Head videos and the yeah. Tom Tom Club videos wanted one thing, and the producers who have sold the rights to Walt Disney to distribute the film definitely wanted something else. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a definite clash between those two things. And where I think the film works best in terms of its design and its look mm. is when somehow they manage to get things that work both ways. Yeah. So Fiona Shaw looks fabulous, uh -huh. sexy, but in quite well-defined, clearly clear costumes that could be action figures as well. Yeah. And she becomes more monstrous as the film continues as well in terms of her hairstyles and, and looks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so things like that work really well, but they're the bits that cross over that. It's suitable for kids, yet it has kind of an artistic vision that feels punkish and cutting edge. Yeah. Um, it's quite a sexual film. There, there's moments in it that feel like they're just a bit fruitier than needs to be in a kid's film. And I know that happens a lot, but it's something that I picked up on. Like, Samantha Mathis is maybe just a little bit too sexy to be the good girl who needs rescuing, and her costumes are just that little bit more revealing than a PG film really needs. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, and of course, like the... Not the, complaining. No, no. <laughs> the character I mentioned earlier, the thief woman, you know, you, yeah. you, at one point you do get a, just a close-up on her yeah. immense bosom. Mm. Um, and it is kind of, you know... But does, does that matter? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing dirty in it. No, I, I agree. I just, I could definitely see why you could bring in, say, Nintendo executives or the Walt Disney executives mm. one day and they'd have a look at all this and go, all right, <laughs> a PG. <laughs> um, yeah, even the creature design is brilliant. Yeah. Like, the, the effects are actually much better than I remember them yeah. being. It's a lot of really good animatronics covered up by a little bit of CGI. Mm -hmm. Almost exactly the same as Jurassic Park. I'm not saying it's as good as Jurassic Park, no. but it's on a par, mm -hmm. in the same ballpark. The Goombas look brilliant. They're, like, they're big men with little animatronic heads yeah. of reptiles, and they do their job really well. Yeah. They could belong in horror from the design of them so good. Mm -hmm. And again, was there a conversation going, is this cute or is this terrifying? I'm not sure what the answer is. I think I probably found them cute if I was it was the full one side of the coin. Yeah, I, I don't think there was anything particularly scary in it. I mean, you have like skeletons, but they're not. You know, it, it seems to have been a, a, a creative decision made to make them not. The, the skeletons are silly, silly skeletons. When when one of the characters gets yeah. killed and instantly becomes a skeleton, it's yeah. not a scary skeleton. No, it's like the skeletons from the Scotch uh, videotape adverts. Do you remember or Memorex? <laughs> no. There used to be like a, a videotape brand who used to be for recording stuff off the telly. Yeah. And he used to be a skeleton. Oh, he, right. he used to talk to you and tell you about how good his videotapes were. Oh, no, I don't remember that. It's either Scotch or Memorex. I can't remember which one it is. Okay. But he wasn't scary. <laughs> he, he wasn't scary. Okay. No, he was just a very good man shelling videotapes without any <laughs> okay. skin or flesh. Or oh. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what else did you like? Um, I, I think we might disagree on this, actually. 
because of grumblings you made during the film. But I quite like the fact that they hold off on, they don't give you too much of what you might expect from the Super Mario brand. You don't see Mario and Luigi in their recognisable costumes until more than halfway through the film. Mm -hmm. um, they do interesting things with um, other aspects of the games. Like, I don't think you were keen on the mushroom aspect of it. That's I thought it was really clever. Yeah. Uh, I, it's, it's difficult to know when they sat down and brainstormed all the ideas of how they're going to crowbar in this and how they're going to crowbar in that and how they're going to include this is... I'm going to take the king and the fungus as an example. Mm -hmm. In that, the king, played momentarily by Lance Henriksen mm -hmm. at the end. For the sequel. Um, he um, has been turned into a fungus by Dennis Hopper, who's got a machine that devolves you. Yeah. And he's basically taken over the city, and he helps the Mario brothers by growing mushrooms or producing items near them or giving them a little bit of help if they're falling yeah uh, and that's absolutely fine completely on board with that now that fits in really well with the idea that uh hopper hopper's king Co cooper copper cooper. King, king cooper has some kind of technological control over evolution mm -hmm. um so i think that's a really good idea and then they add the mushrooms into it almost as an afterthought and my, my curiosity is, have they included, did the fungus start as we need mushrooms in this? Mm. Or did it at one day someone go, do you know what, we've got all this fungus around the city because that's what the king is. Why don't we put some mushrooms on it? And that just covers one of these bases we're struggling to cover. Oh, I, I think, I would assume it came from the other way that they wanted mushrooms in it because they're such an integral part of the game. Yeah. And that's a very creative way they came up of having mm. mushrooms in it. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, but the problem is, Instead of enjoying a movie, I'm sitting there going, ah, finally mushrooms, and that's how they decided to put them in. In the same way, to go back to what you just said a few seconds ago, when Mario and Luigi are driving around at the very beginning of the movie, mm. one's in red and one's in green, but they're the wrong way round. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, why have they done that? Now, yeah, I'm not a zealot, I'm not a Puritan, I don't need them to be dressed exactly the way they are in the video games. Mm. But why dress them in the opposite colours? That, to me, takes me out of the movie. Because then I'm oh, thinking, right. why have you done that? <laughs> I, I did not care uh, or notice that they were in opposite colours. The, the thing is, I don't care. If you said to me, and there's a Super Mario Brother movie coming out, and they've dressed them in the opposite colours for the first couple of scenes, I'd go, well, that's all right, I'm comfortable with it. But then I'm sitting in the movie going, yeah, no, this doesn't feel right. And why have you done that? And it's not because I I care about the intellectual property so much. I can't, can't believe you've messed with Super Mario Brothers. Mm. I'm more along the lines of, I just don't understand why you've done it. But maybe that was just an accident. Like, there were I, 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 that they had at the start. And, I mean, because look, but, she's wearing a white T-shirt. It might have a bit of red on it. But no, no, no. I think the, the first time you've seen them in their plumber outfits in the real world, they, they are specifically wearing each other's colours. John Leguizamo is rocking a lovely rainbow uh, belt. Yeah. <laughs> for most of the film. Don't know where that came from, but it's nice. Yeah. I, I guess I guess my point is, if you're going to make decisions like that, at least have some kind of logic behind them. And it just, it felt to me like possibly when the costumes arrived, 
they realised, oh, we've done one in Bob Hoskins, the matches with John Lucas and Arpo, and one in the other way around as well. They're yeah. just going to have to wear them. Yeah, well, that might be exactly what happened. It certainly did not bother me. <laughs> okay. What else did you like? Um, well, actually, I really like the cast. Um, Bob great, Hoskins it's a great aside, cast. Um, what have you done against Bob no, Hoskins? No, I don't have anything necessarily against Bob Hoskins. What I do think is that maybe he should be grateful <laughs> that he's got a career and not go around bitching about films like that. Well, he's dead now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but then. Um, but does, Bob, Bob I, Hoskins is great in everything. No, he's fine, we? whatever. I, I, no, let's take a second. Don't just pass over Bob Hoskins. We're going to discuss Bob Hoskins, okay? Okay. Bob Hoskins is brilliant in The Long Good Friday. He's brilliant in Mona Lisa. Then he went into Hollywood and he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is one of the biggest films of our childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the star of that. He's in Mermaid. He's in so many good things. And then when he got older and maybe moved away from Hollywood a little bit, some of his British films he made afterwards are very good. For example, uh, Last Orders with Michael Caine. He is someone who isn't a conventional looking movie star. And approaches most films he's in with complete enthusiasm and puts in a really good role and I, I like him a lot I look forward to seeing Bob Hoskins in films well that's so, nice and good for you yeah I mean you do have certain things in common as well so like maybe what? you identify with Bob Hoskins like what you're both quite hairy <laughs> is it just nice seeing an equally hairy or no he's hairier than you but to see your your kind uh, represented it's, on screen it's not that it's no. not that, no, no, I don't need to see someone who looks like me on the screen. You know, I can understand, I can enjoy a movie even if I'm not represented. You know? Yeah, but he does represent. All right, fair enough. But it's not that. I like Bob Hoskins as a person. He, he gives a good interview. For example, when he was asked why he did Super Mario Brothers, I don't think he had a good reason apart from when he said, I'd done Roger Rabbit, I'd done Hook, I didn't want to be known as the Dick Van Dyke. Oh, yeah, he's in Hook. Uh, mm. It's me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well... Oh, I don't like him as me. Oh, why not? Probably? Maybe that's why I don't like Bob Hoskins. Maybe it's mm. one of these things where, you know, how I, I really take against somebody because they're in a particular role. Yeah. And I really don't like Smee because he he's sneaky and he kind of turns against Dustin Hoffman at the end. <laughs> and I don't appreciate that. Well, interestingly, Dustin Hoffman was the first person to show interest in playing Mario. Oh, really? But that would have been intense. But the producers <laughs> kind of went, no, but there's a reason why he was considered. And do you know what it is? No. Um, so this is produced by Ronan Joff, who yeah. is the director of uh, some quite big Oscar hitters from the 80s, uh, The Killing Fields, mm-hmm. The Mission. Everything else he's made is serious and big and kind of wannabe David Lean kind of movies. Right. And he was the one who persuaded Nintendo to give him the rights for Super Mario Brothers for a couple of years so he could make a film out of it. Mm-hmm. And his argument, or where persuading was, if you don't sell the rights to a studio and sell it to someone like me, a smaller production company, you'll have more control over the product. And Nintendo said yes and then said, well, you go off and do your own thing with it anyway because in all honesty, it's a different medium and we just want to see what would happen if someone made a superhero mm. We don't want to have too much control over it. I don't think they were happy with the end result, that yeah. they didn't have a money maker at the end of it, but they kind of gave a certain degree of freedom. Uh, the first person, Roland Joff, uh, Oscar-nominated director producer got to do the Super Mario Brothers script was the writer of Rain Man, oh, a guy right. called uh, uh, Barry Morrow. Okay. And allegedly he wrote it as a serious road movie drama 
I look like Rain Man. But that uh, that that's why Dustin Hoffman was seriously interested in doing uh, Super Mario Brothers. Maybe he never heard of Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. I think there's a certain degree of hubris going the right way along this. I mean, in the end, I think they went for two people who might make a visually interesting movie, which is right, the right thing to do in this husband and wife team, Morton and Yankel. Right. Uh, it, I don't think it completely pans out, and we're discussing what we didn't like. That I think there are issues with the film. But yeah, but you, you're um, going back to the casting because mm. I literally didn't get to talk about any of the casting. Yeah, just because you slagged off Bob Hoskins. I didn't so... slag him off, but do you not think that in this, John Leguizamo does a lot more of the uh, the, the heart? He's the yeah. yeah, he is. Yeah. He's in it more. He is the main character in terms of being the romantic um, foil for... He's the one who figures out what's going on. Stacey. yeah. yeah. I, I, I could, he's more heroic than he's Mario. More yeah. He's more fun. He's funnier. You know, there's the, he, he brings so much more to the film. Mm. Um, and I do wonder if that was, that was always the intention mm. or whether they started making this, realised how, how much Bob Hoskins didn't care about it. And he wasn't putting in a particularly great performance. So they took the focus off him. And because it's not just Luigi who gets a lot more screen time, Dennis Hopper probably has as much yeah. screen time, if not more, than Bob Hoskins. A lot of Dennis Hopper's scenes are him by himself, though, and I do wonder whether that's a reshoot kind of issue that they've kind of gone, we need to join these scenes together, or so we'll get Dennis Hopper sitting in a chair looking at his screens, and that yeah. kind of gives us a bit more kind of a shape to the film because it's caged though because he has a lot of scenes with Spike and Iggy he has mm. he has plenty of scenes with Fiona Shaw yeah so you know um there was a surprising amount of Dennis Hopper in it I thought yeah uh, this this is his big Hollywood comeback part yeah but um he didn't really hit kind of his kind of final stretch of his career until next year in Speed mm-hmm. but this feels very much a piece in the pace with the villain work he did in Speed and Waterworld yeah that yeah, essentially must have gotten back on financial track yeah I mean it's, I, I, the, to, to move on then in terms of uh, to expand upon what I'm saying about how good the cast is I love Dennis Hopper mm-hmm. I, I, you know in even in the crap stuff mm. um, he, he shines and and it isn't for putting an effort in because he always seems to just turn into a similar kind of performance. But I just think there's something so likeable about him mm. for such a <laughs> a sort of sinister, creepy man. Yeah, I, 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 I like Dennis Hopper too. And I like Dennis Hopper in Speed and I like him in Blue Velvet. Um, he is someone who's had an interesting and varied career. He's seen pop up in so many things in the early 60s. Mm. And then he's made his easy riders and then the pockets now where he went it for his kind of uh, down period and then he slowly clawed it back to kind of some kind of degree of hollywood respectability and mm. um, so i've got a lot of time for him do really like him as a person i think it's interesting that you've got someone as captivating and as good as what he does as dennis hopper in a film like this and yet you feel they felt they need to surround him with at least six hench people Mm. Yeah, got various gumbars who have their own personality. Mm-hmm. You've got um, the two cousins, played by Richard Edson and Trisha Stevens. Mm-hmm. You've got Fiona Shaw as Lena, the girlfriend. Yeah, who yeah. also turns out to be. Well, she she's she, kind of almost the main villain. Yeah, it's hinted that she was some kind of secretary at yeah. some point, and he's like yeah. lifted her up to be his kind of paramour and exactly. co. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she's got her own agenda yeah. as it goes along, and. Yeah, and then there's a police captain as well who seems to actually do most of the successful henchperson oh, yeah. work. It felt too busy. 
there are too many villains there. And I know um, the cousins are comedy characters, mm. but it would have been nicer to just have a bit more focus on a couple of villains than six. Yeah, I suppose so. But they've all got their own kind of little roles and and qualities. I mean, you've got all the Goombas, but the Goombas are essentially um, the, what would you call them in a video game? The things that there are just millions of, and you just mm. dispatch them over and over again. Yeah. As if they, they're being made in a machine. Like, yeah. cookies, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, that that's another thing that the, the film does well. It kind of, it uses video game tropes but without being too sledgehammery about them or too obvious like the fact that the fungus is there and the mushrooms and the and the ticking uh what they call the bomb 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 bombs Mm. bombs. um every video game has helpful items that you just come across yeah exactly um and they're not realistic even you know you have the video games that try to be realistic but they're not Mm. they're not because you you know Who's leaving all those medical packs around for Lara? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you just come across these things. And, and the film has the fungus providing these things for the characters. So they do, they have these helpful lights. It's, it's, it's a really kind of clever, seamless way of doing it. Mm. Um, as is having these Goomba characters that are you kind of easy to kill. You've got the cousins who, okay, end up being a completely different playing a completely different part because they're not all bad mm-hmm. but they might be like end of level bosses and then you've got the end of game boss being uh cooper yeah no yeah i i see that and i do like that element to it but what i would say is there's um a certain degree of messes and it kind of almost a fear to kill anyone in the film which is when you've got that many villains seems weird i know by the end spoilers but mm. Fiona Shaw and Dennis Hopper's characters are dead mm. at the end of the film, and that's fine. But they don't kill a Goomba during it. There's only one scene of violence against the Goombas, and that's almost horrific because it's the nice Goomba suddenly gets set alight to be burned alive. And you're thinking, who fucking signed off on that? Now the fire's put out, but there's at least a minute where you're thinking, this really nice character who's fought against the evil setting is in to be nice. And brought a nice place of steamed vegetables to Samantha Mathis suddenly's been set alight while alive and is going to burn to death. Mm. And it's shown relatively explicitly for a kid's film what happens with yeah. a certain degree of pain from the character. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's a really weird sequence to have in the film. Aside from killing things, you have like this horrible machine that turns, the, like the, that devolves mm. uh, what are essentially humans, even though they've descended from reptiles, yeah. and it kind of devolves them back to reptiles or it devolves them back to fungus or primordial mm. ooze or whatever. Um, and again, that's kind of a video game thing. I mean, think it's bringing to mind, and I might be wrong in this, but in Sonic, when you kill something mm. that's nasty, doesn't it turn into like a bunny rabbit or yeah. something? Yeah, so Dr. Robotnik, or the Eggman, as mm. he's sometimes known in the computer games, turns all of Sonic's little wildlife buddies into uh, cybernetic creatures yeah. that are you know, deadly. So you're not killing anything in Sonic? No, you're not. You're freeing the creatures. Yeah, exactly. That is right, yeah. So there's not necessarily a whole lot of killing in these children's computer games so mm. that kind of fits in again with yeah. um that, that a lot of thought and care has gone into making it fit the genre in terms of cast did you did you like everyone well yeah um i haven't even mentioned um how much i like 
John Langzamo and uh, Fiona Shaw, which you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and Samantha Mathis. I yeah. think she's great. I know, I know you said, okay, too sexy and it's not a criticism, yeah. but, um, you know, she's so kind of like game and um, she's a great character for young girls yeah. like, because she's in, she, obviously she's beautiful, but she's not like a dolly bird, you know, she's not yeah. made up or anything like no. that. Um, and she's got her own agenda at the beginning. She's a student who specializes in dinosaur bones mm. and she's excavating, she's standing up to the man or the mafia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in another subplot. Um, Too many subplots. Yeah. Uh, and she can hold her own. Yeah, she, the plot of it is the Mario brothers are rescuing her, but really she frees herself. She doesn't actually need yeah. the help. She gets a bit of help from Yoshi. Yeah. But he's not a man. He's, he's, he's a little dinosaur pet. Yeah. 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 If anything, the cast is kind of slightly overqualified. Uh, I do feel particularly sorry for Fiona Shaw in that I can think of three films she's in, mm -hmm. all of which are big Hollywood productions, all of which she's fantastic in. I'm mm -hmm. talking about Three Men and the Little Lady, yeah. this, and The Black Dahlia. Oh, right, okay. Uh, and yet somehow she's not considered this great star or this great actress but she is isn't she more of a, a theater yeah she is yeah. yeah yeah so i mean that's that's fine mm. if anything um in that world mm -hmm. you probably get quite a lot of bitchiness thrown like yeah. a bit around because you're in films like that mm. but you know buys your house doesn't it? it means that you can do that and then you can go ahead and spend the next three to five years just doing plays she, she feels to me like the equivalent of brian cox in that she, um, Brian Cox was in Manhunter mm -hmm. in 1986, playing Hannibal Lecter, mm -hmm. and then you don't really see him in all that much. I think he does pop up in things. I mean, the first thing I remember him being in significantly was Rushmore, and then within mm -hmm. five years he was in every blockbuster. Yeah. And now he chooses projects he wants to do, and he's in things like Succession, mm -hmm. he does British sitcoms again, he's in mm -hmm. Deadwood and things like that, and the occasional Hollywood blockbuster again. Mm -hmm. But he's always really good in whatever he's in. And Fiona Shaw feels to me like someone who's done a very similar thing, like occasional little bit of Hollywood, occasional mm -hmm. bit of British television, but mainly theatre, and yet she never had that tipping point where suddenly she became a household name. Yeah, because I was quite surprised a few years ago, she was in an episode of Inside Number Nine, mm -hmm. and you think, wow, oh my God, it's Fiona Shaw, yeah. and she's slumming it in... And it should be a huge thing, like, wow, that's that's a real coup for them yeah. that they've got Fiona Shaw, and it never really felt like that. Um, mm. So I, I, I will agree that, you know, you would expect her to be in an HBO prestige yes, TV show. very much so. Um, but maybe she is, and we just don't yeah. watch it. But I, think, I think a little bit like someone like, she should have the same kind of fame as someone like a Jessica Lange or a Susan Sarandon, mm. and yet she's never had that project where it, the, the, the film's been as deserving and took off as her performance in it. Mm. Very, very poor choices. Or unfortunate choices for someone who's so talented. Yeah, maybe, but maybe she is not comfortable on in front of the camera, and maybe she's a lot more comfortable on the stage. She, and... she seems very comfortable in front of the camera. Yeah, she gives yeah, 100%. but maybe, but maybe she just prefers. Um, I hope, I hope mm. it's a choice thing mm. and not that things haven't worked out for her because she absolutely does deserve to. And there's still time. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course there is, but. It, again, Samantha Mathis went through her peak period in this time of doing like pump up the volume, mm. this broken arrow. And mm. ten years later, she's in a bit part in one episode of Lost, and you go, mm. "What happened there?" Yeah, mm. yeah, it is. That's yeah. You can just equally say the same thing of her. Yeah. 
What didn't you like about Super Mario Brothers? There's not a lot, but there are two <laughs> kind of quite grand overarching issues okay. that I would say. The first one being that it is a very complicated, dense plot, and I found myself having to concentrate a lot more than I thought I would have to concentrate on a film that is essentially for children. Yes. Um, and I don't bear any grudge. Clearly, it didn't bother me when I was a kid, and I watched this every time it was on and enjoyed it. But as an adult, you know, I want to understand what's going on. I don't want to be made to feel stupid because I'm, I'm not fully comprehending the plot. Um, I mean, even things like, and I think this has come up before in in certain episodes of the podcast I find it incredibly frustrating where there's a character who's been in it for multiple scenes and I don't know their name right and I it wasn't it was the very end the very end when I found out the other henchmen's because mm. the, there are two cousins Iggy yeah. and Spike when I found out the one that's not called Spike is called Iggy it yeah. hadn't come up <laughs> no you're right I, that's why I didn't want to refer to them I can remember Spike I can remember the other one and I thought I was just being, a, being an idiot but it's like, yeah, if, yeah. If, you, you, if you suffered the same thing clearly it wasn't laid yeah. out crazy yeah. and it was because there's a post credit scene with those two in it with a, with a, like quite a nice joke at the end and it's because he says his own name in that bit <laughs> oh, okay so he has a name yeah. I mean that's that's ridiculous how can you have a character whose name isn't clear yeah they, they were an interesting pair of characters because essentially they're the bumbling henchmen that you might see in anything any, yeah. anything from a James Bond to anything else mm. and about the midway point because they're a pair of idiot reptiles in human form yeah they decide to evolve them further to make them smarter. That's what Cooper does. Yeah. And yet they're still just as incompetent. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I really like that. That's one of my favourite jokes in the film, in, is that they are so silly at mm-hmm. the beginning because they are, they are bumbling idiots. They keep kidnapping the wrong girl. Mm-hmm. Um, who's, you know, they're trying to find Daisy and they keep taking the wrong... Most of the girls that they take seem to look like streetwalkers. Yeah, there's one jogger and three streetwalkers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought when they were in the prison. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so they, they kidnap any girl they can find on the street yeah. and, and that's I'm the not even the right like. age yeah. <laughs> she has to be 20 um, but then yeah they get they go through this machine and become super clever and they come out of this machine you think oh god they're going to be a real threat now because they're so clever but they are absolutely just, just as silly just as bumbling just their vocabulary is. slightly improved yeah. that's what it is <laughs> um, yeah it's oh, funny <laughs> okay so the idea of that is funny I would agree, but yeah. I think it's indicative of the problem with Super Mario Brothers if you're approaching it as uh, a special effects comedy like Ghostbusters, which is what they did intend this to be, mm-hmm. in that if there are jokes, they're not being written to the point where they get to a punchline. They're just clever ideas or funny ideas. Yeah. And there's no sense of timing to anything that happens that should be a joke. Mm-hmm. It is just too chaotic. A lot of the lines, whether they're meant to be funny lines or exposition lines, happen with a huge amount of noise and music and chaos yeah. happening around them. And there's just no focus in no. the film at all of, in this shot, we're trying to deliver this piece of information, whether it's to make you laugh or understand. Mm. It just doesn't happen. And it the, ha- the haphazard slapdash busyness of it all invades every single moment of the film that there's film there's sequences where the protagonists aren't centrally in the shot sometimes they're just even off camera mm-hmm. when they should be the focus of that scene the a lot of the scenes where it's lots of characters say for example when they visit nightclubs so they can glue three songs for the soundtrack yeah uh, 
is a dance sequence. It looks really good, but it also it looks really good what's happening, but I'm assuming that because the shot itself is quite shaky and unprofessional. It looks almost like, do you remember when you used to watch TV shows going, this is the making of Super Mario Brothers, this is the making of Jurassic mm. Park, and you've got some kind of secondary camera filming the set from above, just showing you the scale and the scope mm. of the rehearsal. That's what a lot of the scenes look like. They look like the rehearsal being filmed for the electronic press kit rather than actual footage from an actual film. Yeah, maybe. But I think you could look at it two ways. You could say that's incompetence or you could say these are two people who, from throughout their entire project, deliberately set out to do something different and not do what you expect. And it doesn't really work. That doesn't work. A lot of things. But I think the intention is to give them the benefit of the doubt I think their intention is good. I just don't think necessarily it's executed 100%. I think they're trying to make it feel haphazard and crazy. I think they're trying to make it feel like a younger person's version of something like Tank Girl, mm. where there's loads of stuff going on and it's mental and it's loud and it's crazy. But yeah, that is the other thing that I took issue with. Um, the sound is very... Uh, confusing sometimes i can't tell what they're saying yeah they're talking too fast and it's mixed in with other sounds and it's just gone by so you probably do hear characters names earlier on in the film but it just gets muddled in um and it's quite dark yeah in places as well that yeah. i couldn't it's work out lit. exactly what's going yeah, I agree on with that. um so those would be two issues i have and those probably are things that you know you can't put that down to artistic mm. intention that's not artistic that's they've just done something wrong (laughs) like they've not done it well but things like the way the cameras are and having certain things happen and having the the chaotic scenes where almost too much is going on i think that the 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 intention is is good yeah i i I disagree i i think you can do what they're trying to do and still make it look professional and i get the feeling that this is a film where there's so many ideas swirling around and so many times they probably change course with what they want to do in a scene or how they're going to do it or this is improvised now or this that by the time it got to now we need to light it and set the camera up and do it right in a professional way not as a Hollywood production with this many people working it should mm-hmm. do that was no you're going to have to rush it guys because otherwise we're not going to film the film now we decide what we're going to do and I get the thing that's why someone like Bob Hoskins found is such a horrible production because you're sitting around waiting for them to change what you've already rehearsed and got ready to do mm-hmm. to something that might not be as good as what you were ready to do and it just sacks all the energy out of what you want to do um, and I think he just went fuck it it's not worth the money well that's fine but most of the most enjoyable bits in the film are not to do with Bob Hoskins or any of the other characters really it is the fun little like that bit in the club where they're all dancing in sequence yeah. I love that bit and I, it I, works so you know what's the problem if you ask me what my favourite parts of the film is it's anything to do with dancing when they make the goodness <laughs> dance and lift yeah. is a, a lovely little comedy moment that a better comic director would have filmed with a certain degree of clarity that they're trapped in the lift more and more Goombas who are massive keep coming into the lift and they're hiding behind two Goombas and they have to crawl underneath them to change as they turn around because yeah. the lift's got two sets of doors now that as an idea is right with comedy slapstick potential mm-hmm. but, and it's just filmed wrong but you go midway through you go I understand what you're trying to do here but you haven't done it in a way that hits the punchline yeah and it, then, it is a shame when it's not quite right and then Luigi figures out we can make the Goombas dance mm-hmm. and it turns into this lovely little sequence where they actually have a nice little kind of tea time ballroom dance mm-hmm. and lift it all together 
and then they like dancing from that point onwards. Yeah. It's, it, it's a really lovely idea, but it's just not delivered on. Um, and the same way when they visit the nightclub, which is very much there, so they include three songs for the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> One of which is a banger, though. <laughs> well, that is yeah. <laughs> um, But again, it should be like a real highlight of the film, and it, again, it's just so sloppily filmed that you kind of go, because the best part of that sequence, apart from the crowds all dancing in sequence, is Mario needs to seduce Big Bertha, mm. who's got Dimitrite around her neck, and he's yeah. trying to get it off her neck by dancing with her, but in a way that he can get the Dimitrite. Yeah. The Imagine the fun of someone who's not even that good at comedy, like Spielberg would have with that, mm. say, in an Indiana Jones film, or Roger Moore would have that in a James Bond film. Mm. And in this, it just feels like, God, they probably filmed that in five minutes once they... I love that bit. I thought they did that bit really well with the mm. dance. Again, it's not very well filmed, is what I would say. All right, well... Anything else you didn't like? Nope. <laughs> See, Mary was that good, is it? Yep. Regular questions. Yeah. Natalie, who was the Michael Parks of the film when everyone else was collecting a paycheck who really pulled their weight and stole the show? Because she is so cool. Uh, Samantha Mathis. Oh, good. I'm going with that one. Oh, really? Very, really difficult one because I think everyone works really hard in what is quite a muddled project. And in any other film, if you said John Lugosi Armour's in it or Fiona Shaw's in it or Dennis Hopper's in it, mm. I would go, oh, well, they're going to be the best thing in it. Mm-hmm. With this, there's loads of people who could be the best thing in it. Mm-hmm. But I would go with Samantha Mathis as well. Um, I think she's a, a really great young leading lady. Mm-hmm. And again, I would have preferred her to carry on being in more things as she got older. Yes, yeah, it's a shame. But I, I think, um, thinking back, one of the reasons why I enjoyed this film so much as a kid was because of her. Yeah. Because I really like that character. Um, and, you know, she's tough and she's interesting, but she's feminine as well. Yeah. And, yeah, she just, she hits it spot on. Yeah. Um, what I would also say is she has one of the better moments at the end in that she gets to be the Doc Brown who comes back. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's a, there's going to be another adventure. There wasn't. No, I know, that's so sad. <laughs> that could have been so good. <laughs> if you could make one change to Super Mario Brothers, what would it be? Um, I would have more Samantha Mathis in it. Really? Yeah, because she's not in it quite as much as you would expect her to be, because really she's the main character. Mm-hmm. So I would have a little bit less Spike and Iggy, because yeah. they are overused. They are overused. Um, and, and have more Samantha Mathis. Mm-hmm. Maybe just having fun with girls in the um, prison. Yeah. Where would you cast James Spader in this? This is so difficult because there's nowhere he neatly fits. He's mm. not a plumber. He's not a plumber. No, and um, he's not... I wouldn't want to see him with all spiky hair and mm. Dennis Hopper's just fine in, in the role of the baddie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's too important um, and and attractive to be one of, like, Spike or Iggy's mm-hmm. work. So, the, you know, if I wanted to throw some work his way for this film, the only role I could give him would be the narrator. And oh. that means um, getting rid of Dan Castaneda, who I don't like. No, like Homer Simpson. No, right, I'll tell you why. And mm. it's nothing about Homer, because mm. I love Homer Simpson. Mm-hmm. But since Dan Castaneda became a producer, mm-hmm. or an executive producer, whatever role they gave him <laughs> in The Simpsons, The Simpsons has been shit, so I'm blaming him. Right, okay, but I don't think that's really why The Simpsons has become no, less good than this. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I find quite amusing is uh, Dan Castaneda is in War of the Roses in a role where he doesn't talk at all. Oh, really? Because yeah. he has so much else to offer. He's the guy Danny DeVito is telling the story of the Roses too, who's because oh, of doing a divorce. Yes. 
Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. He was just around, I suppose. Mm. One thing that one thing going off regular questions for two seconds, but one thing I noticed about the film that again shows they didn't have the the foresight to make this clear as it went along is mm -hmm. there's a running idea that Mario is using one of his tools every time to get out of the scrape. So mm. by the end when he faces off against Cooper, he's got no tools left. Oh right, yeah. Not made clear, but that's actually what happens as the film goes along. Oh yeah, yeah. no, I didn't. Better storytellers. Uh -huh. Would have sold that idea as you went along. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. Um, should there have been a sex scene? No, it's his film. Yeah, really? Yeah. Well, you have, you have enough. You know, you've got the very sweet romance between Princess Daisy and Luigi. Mm -hmm. You've got the slightly more adult romance between Mario and Danielle. Yeah. I think Gabrielle? One of, one of those names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you've got like the seduction with um, the lady with the big boobies. Mm -hmm. um, and that's enough. And you've got Lena oh, and King Cooper. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 Um, in, in the mud bath together. We don't want to see the mud bath sex scene. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Because <laughs> Dennis Hopper is not, he's not a sexy character, really. Because he, and I didn't realise this, it took a little while to click, but because he's descended from a T-Rex, he spends most of the film with his, with his hands yeah. in front of him, like Mr Burns. Just uh, yeah. <laughs> again, again, it's definitely there. And you're right, it's in the film, it's definitely, definitely there. There's never that one scene or shot where you've got to go, oh, I get the joke. It's because it's making you work for it. You get a real sense of achievement when you notice these things. Um, I've left this question to the end. Was there any product placement in the film? Yeah. Weird, wasn't it? Yeah, it was weird. Because <laughs> um, I noticed two things. One thing where they're actually criticising the product, but then make it very prominent, which is um, Evian Water. Yeah. Because they talk about how expensive it is to yeah. buy, because mineral water hadn't become a thing, I suppose. Um, but then you see it really clearly. Then definitely is Evian. Um, and then the, the little what bon those bon 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 bonbons? Yeah. Um, are wearing Reeboks at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. So we're <laughs> <laughs> that one. <laughs> I think mean, there was a Pepsi board as well at oh, one really? point. But yeah, the the Reebok at the bottom of the bomber bombs little paddle thing. Because mm. he's like, why not toy basically? Yeah, they yeah. Like, why not bomb? But yeah. he's. Clearly they've taken a real wind-up toy yeah. and put a bomb shape around whatever it was, whether it was like a little cloud or whatever it was. Yeah. But on the bottom, they've printed Reebok on the bottom of this <laughs> for, for no reason at all, because it's not, it's not like he's wearing little sneakers, he's got little rectangle feet. <laughs> <laughs> it is great. Uh, yeah, I, I, if I was Reebok, I'd be really excited for that. But you don't think they paid for that? I think they have, have paid for it, and that's what they got. Oh, right. <laughs> um... Is Super Mario Brothers worse or better than Bad Boys? It's way better than Bad Boys. It's the fits. <laughs> <sighs> I am going to say it's worse than Bad Boys. Okay? Yeah, of course you are. But it was better than I remember it being. Okay. Okay. We'll That's where it. I'm going. Next episode, we are going to be watching Free to Tango, starring oh. the beautiful Nev Campbell hmm. and Matthew Perry. Yeah. As a romantic comedy. Never really worked out for him as a romantic lead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll be discussing Matthew Perry. <laughs> Best thing on Friends. <laughs> movie career didn't go quite so well. No. And we'll be discussing Nev Campbell as well, who had a great movie career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So join us for the next episode. Thank, Thank you. you for listening. Thank you, hopefuls. <laughs>